you are listening to a podcast from The National. The property industry from the UAE and the wider region has gathered in Dubai amid what has been up to now fairly weak sentiment and a bit of a cloudy outlook. Are better times ahead? We'll find out. Also, he is never far from our thoughts. Elon Musk gets a $20 million slap on the wrist for his twittering about electric car maker Tesla. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast from the Nationals Newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, currently there's a cityscape property exhibition going on in Dubai. It's the big jamboree for the sector in the UAE and the wider region. Often you can get an idea of how business is doing, the thoughts of the biggest developers. You can actually see uh, what the projects are that you should be most excited about. And this year, there was a lot of expectation of what could be sales and investors returning. Uh, Sarah Townsend, uh, the Nationals business correspondent, was down there on the first day. And I asked her if it felt busy. Yeah, it it did feel busy. It really did feel busy this year. Um, I mean, uh, you know, compared to uh, Cityscape Dubai last year, I'd say that it was, it it varied according to the rooms and which developers were in which hall. So some halls were emptier than others. And you could go in and sort of think in in some rooms, oh, this feels, uh, you know, quieter than last year. And then you'd go into another room and it would be absolutely heaving. Um, and the people I spoke to, they were all saying, oh, this is far busier than um, than last year. And, you know, it really seems to reflect this um, feeling that um, uh, that investors are, are more positive um, about the market in general this year and developers are responding to that. Was it a bit of an echo chamber in the sense that it was all industry people talking and, and visiting and viewing? Or did you get a sense that there was actually maybe some real buyers there? Well, certainly um, each exhibition, really, you know, each developer's show um, seemed to be very busy. You know, this seemed to be, um, you know, if you look at the, this sort of big architect models of each of the schemes that the developers were um, were showcasing, um, there seemed to be a lot of huddles around there specifically, um, which I think suggests that this is buyers um, because... Um, I think, you know, if you're just having kind of people talking on the outskirts or, or, you know, those sorts of conversations happening, but people not actually um, looking at at what's happening and, you know, the rooms off each of the developers' um, stands were full as well. I mean, I was doing interviews in in a lot of these and we got sort of turfed out of a couple of the rooms because people wanted to come in and actually talk to prospective buyers. So I guess that's a, you know, that's that's a good sign. And in terms of like the UAE projects that caught your eye or maybe caught the eye, eye, the eye of people who are visiting. Uh, which one stood out? We actually had a couple of um, big schemes unveiled the day before um, Cityscape or, or sort of on the day of the, the industry conference day, which happens before the actual exhibition opens. Um, we had uh, Imkan, which is an Abu Dhabi developer. We had its um, big Riviera project unveiled. This is a 15 um, billion dirham project that they're planning to build in between Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And, you know, this, this surpasses even even a couple of the, the, the 10 billion um, dirham schemes that were unveiled in Abu Dhabi at, city, at Cityscape uh, Abu Dhabi version earlier this year. And then we also had Union Properties. They unveiled a big segment of their Motor City Master Plan on Monday. So those sort of stood out as a sort of fresh new project. I would say that most of the projects that were being marketed were actually ones that have previously already been unveiled 
and this is sort of new phases of them rather than whole new projects, which I think is quite significant because it seems that, you know, on the back of this sort of um, renewed sentiment among investors, perhaps developers are really making a fresh hit to try and shift existing stock existing inventory yeah there were a lot of deals um, announced in advance you know uh, promotions uh, aldar and bloom mm. the Abu Dhabi developers in particular um, about their projects um, you know talking about Absolutely. monthly payment plans of you know less than 2000 dirhams um, which seems significant do you see many takers uh, for the for these promotions absolutely i mean it did seem like every single po- uh, developer that you walked past was going, really doing, I suppose, the hard sell on these um, appealing payment plans. Um, you know, uh, okay, Aldar was, um, you know, saying customers who buy homes in its Mamshar al-Sadiat um, development, they'll receive a rebate of 5% of the total price on handover. They'll enjoy 2% registration fee waivers, a five-year exemption from service charges. Uh, Azizi was offering a 0% to buy land department fee, completely waiving it. We had, I mean, that's just to name a couple of examples. It was, they were, I'd say, even more sort of a, a appealing um, in terms of the, the payment plans um, than what we saw at um, in previous cityscapes. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to say whether there were buyers for that, but certainly everybody was commenting on on that and sort of saying how, how much this was going to be helping people actually get into the market and, and you know, encouraging investors. Uh, so I saw one of your pieces was uh, about the Egyptian businessman Najib uh, Sawiris planning $2 billion mm. investment in, in real estate across the region, which, uh, you know, yeah. somebody like him, uh, if he's committing that kind of money uh, to property in the region, that's got to be a good sign more broadly, not not just for the UAE, but but across the Middle East and North Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, he uh, he's doing a, a bit of a relaunch of uh, a property vehicle that he already had, which uh, was was called Gemini Global Development, and he's he's formed a new venture called Aura Developers. I think it sort of officially was incorporated this new this new company a bit earlier in the year, but this is the sort of first they've talked about it. And so as Gemini, this company already had a 2.5 billion global portfolio. So this was including projects in Grenada, Cyprus, and um, one unveiled earlier this year in Pakistan. Um, but, you know, what, what the CEO told us is that um, they're planning to build another $2 billion of property, specifically across the Middle East, in the next three to five years. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say this, these are all sort of positive indications of... of um, of renewed sentiment. Um, I think people were, were quite cautious to say that property prices would actually start to rise um, in the in the sort of near term. I think most people thought that, most people I spoke to, thought that it could take another a year before we see an actual uptick in prices. But, but, but most of them were saying, you know, we're near the bottom. And in any case, they were saying that it's, it's sort of a, about a correction in terms of supply and demand and, and with appetite growing across all areas of, of property from sort of affordable to luxury. I think developers are sort of getting a bit more savvy about how to address the needs of the market. I, I think the as we go into the final quarter of the year and, and we look at the beginning of 2019, it, we'll, we'll get a lot of understanding about how real um, any kind of 
pick up an activity is going to be. Obviously, with Cityscape it, Global in Dubai, it's a big exhibition. It's got a pedigree of many, many years. So the developers have all been working hard uh, to promote the industry and themselves and their projects uh, very, very well. And it seems they pulled it off, um, yeah. you know, uh, the noise in and around it from what you're saying. But I guess we won't really yeah. know uh, how sustainable this will be uh, un- until sort of the next six months play out. They suspect, yeah. I assume, from all these offers that they think there's money there on the sidelines waiting to come in and they just need to be tempted. But perhaps we need to wait for, uh, you know, these big government stimulus packages like Reden 21 in Abu Dhabi, other initiatives mm-hmm. like visa rule changes to really uh, show through before we're going to see that uptick in, in property buying and activity of the yeah. market that we that we that they hope is coming right i mean this could just be a big marketing yeah. exercise essentially it, it it could absolutely and i think we also have to remember that a lot of property companies um are still grappling with um sort of um not the fallout as such but just you know some of the damaging effects of the last three years when we have seen prices really plummet you know m- way more than 10 percent in some areas of the uae and probably more in, in other areas across the GCC and Middle East. So, you know, for example, I, I interviewed um, the Knight Properties, mm-hmm. the chief financial officer, Adil Taki, yesterday. And uh, and he he was, you know, talking about their plan to pay down $1.5 billion of debt um, over the next three years. And, you know, they're sort of very much looking at their cash flow. And he's saying, you know, they, they really need to make $5 billion of sales annually to cover their overheads while they work to pay down this debt. Um, he was also uh, advising people to be a bit cautious about seeing Expo as the complete be-all and end-all. He was saying, you know, what, what, what the exhibition could do is help developers to get a sort of prospective investor pipeline um, for the years after Expo, you know, when visitors come and they think, oh, wow, how, how amazing is the country and how amazing was the event. But it, he, he cautioned people to sort of think that people would really be doing loads of deals um, for property over the um, time of the so, event. So the idea being that Dubai Expo 2020 will be perhaps a trigger, but not the, the, the conclusive be-all and end-all yeah. for the property market. Exactly. It'll buoy, it'll buoy, you know, the hospitality market, the trance, public transport, um, you know, entertainment, uh, retail, food and beverage, all of these um, sort of aspects of the economy. But... Um, yeah, he, he was sort of saying, you know, people might not just land up here and go, oh, you know, great, we're, we're here, we're, we're going to buy a property now, um, which I think is a you know, fair point to make. Sarah Townsend, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. More Business Extra in just a moment. But first, allow me to tell you about The National's other podcasts. Beyond the Headlines takes a deeper dive into the biggest news from the week with a distinct Middle Eastern point of view. And our newest show, The Cricket Pod, is where our experts shine a spotlight on the gentleman's game. Subscribe to both shows as well as this one on Apple Podcasts or find us as always at thenational.ae. With me now is Kelsey Warner, Assistant Business Editor. Uh, She's joining me because uh, that favourite billionaire innovator and smoker of the pod, Elon Musk, um, has been very much in the news. Uh, He's been ordered by the US Securities and Exchange Commission to pay a $20 million fine over tweets he had made suggesting he would take Tesla private. Now, Kelsey, you've been following this story. Um, What else has been going on around that uh, issue at the moment? Yeah, so... uh 
Musk's sort of two-month-long public meltdown kind of came to a close with the SEC's uh, settlement with him uh, just after two days of opening a lawsuit. Uh, $20 million charged to Musk and $20 million charged to Tesla, uh, which effectively, you know, is a slap of the wrist for both Musk and Tesla. Uh, it seems to me that the SEC is essentially um, acknowledging that, um, you know, Musk is Tesla and Tesla is Musk, and they really can't operate with one without the other. So, um, it, you know, putting it into context, Tesla, um, Tesla's biggest shareholder is Musk. He owns $9 billion worth of stock. So, um, you know, fining him $20 million is really not even a drop in the bucket. He was... The, to go back on this is the reason why he tweeted that he might take the company private is he's had an axe to grind with what he perceives to be short sellers um, expecting Tesla's shares to dive because of production issues around their latest model. So he, it was almost like he was being quite vindictive in in his tweets to to just move the shares up. And the shares did bounce. But I guess the SEC was under pressure to show that no... CEO or owner or founder, no matter how powerful, no matter how famous, can use social media to manipulate the market in such a way. Do you think that's the message that's been given here? You say a slap on the wrist. Should they have done more? Uh, so that's interesting. So what I think the SEC was basically doing is actually putting guardrails up for Tesla to um, just operate more responsibly and yeah, to make sure Musk isn't um, you know rogue tweeting at two o'clock in the morning from now on. Um, they did say that the resolution was intended basically to prevent further market disruption and harm to Tesla's shareholders. So in that way, the SEC seemed to be kind of mm, reducing the volatility of the Tesla stock over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, it dropped when they opened their lawsuit by 14 percent. It was the largest loss in five years. Uh, by Monday of this week, it had basically fully recovered. Um so, yeah, short sellers actually gained, I think, around $2 billion uh, for betting against Tesla. But um, the joke was ultimately on, I don't know, maybe maybe the SEC, actually, because Tesla got away with a lot. It's interesting because there's always a, a tension between how much power regulators should have, how much they should let the markets operate. But, you know, as I said um Earlier in the show, we always talk about Elon Musk. He's always doing something. Um, he's, I mean, this is partly an obs sort of bit of a media-driven obsession with him because he's a larger-than-life character. He's been compared to, you know, Barnum from, you know, the the the, the is it the nineteenth century? Barnum um, and Bailey's uh, circus. Yeah, yeah it, sure. It, but but you know, there's a very serious. Um, uh, aim that Tesla, as an electric car maker, is is trying to achieve, sure. which is cleaner transport. And as we've, you know, we've talked before how important Tesla is in terms of winning consumers over sure. and to electric cars. Has he hurt that? Absolutely. Um, I mean, whether or not this recklessness actually kind of comes down on consumer sentiment is kind of remains to be seen. But their third quarter production numbers came out yesterday and uh, Musk kind of stuck it to the short sellers by basically doubling down and... I think he increased production on uh, his newest model by like 50%. And so they're hitting manufacturing quotas. Uh, they're delivering cars to driveways, um, finally, after a few years of kind of not delivering. Uh, this is actually the first quarter where they seem to be indicating that they're capable of producing what they're promising. Um, so it's kind of odd timing, given how reckless Musk has seemed, that they're finally uh, 
kind of locking in and building in some discipline. Um, also, interestingly, with the SEC decision, they've basically assigned Musk a babysitter on his tweets. Yeah, it just it seems like, if anything, Tesla will be better taken care of. And uh, in the next in the next quarter or two, just making sure that those production numbers were not just a byproduct of Musk, you know, just trying to show show the market that they were capable during a really volatile time. I can think of one or two other people who might need a babysitter on Twitter. But that's another conversation. (laughs) Kelsey Warner, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. That's been an episode of The Business Extra. All that remains to thank our producer, Kevin Jeffers. All of you, thanks for listening, and please join us again next time.